Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the work is worth the keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let the peace rest on it. If not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will, come, will welcome you or listen to your words, leave, out, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment for the, than for that town. This is the word of the Lord. After time away this summer, guys, I'm going to be honest, I was saddened to return to a country uh, that felt deeply divided, that was deep in conflict, brother against brother, child against parent, neighbor against neighbor. It wasn't about partisan politics or social issues or ideological differences. It was in the theaters. I'm talking about Barbie versus Oppenheimer. These movies drew so many people uh, that I'm just curious, how many of you, your last movie you saw were one of these two? Raise your hand. Okay. Wow. Like most of this room. It's interesting. In Germany, there's this huge surge in COVID numbers. And what do they blame? These two movies. (laughs) They are the ones that did it. Uh, July, actually, this year, July was the second most lucrative month in theatrical history period, like American movie theaters, ever, only beaten by one month, July 2011. Do you know what movie was released then? Harry Potter, the final Harry Potter. Don't mess with Hogwarts, y'all. These, uh, it's so interesting to me, because these are such different films. Like, their lanes are so widely, widely different from each other. Uh, one is so lighthearted and silly, the other is depicting one of the most dark days in all of human history. One has this pink glow about it. The other is this dark blue. Though they are seemingly different, it's interesting to see how they interact with each other. One movie is about how something dangerous was released into this world and it would change everything. And the other movie is about the atomic bomb. (laughs) Yeah, I thought it was good too. No, in all seriousness, it's kind of interesting how these two interact. Both films are about uniquely American products and byproducts of American culture. Both movies show how developers uh, release something and then attempted to reverse some of the damage of their creation to varying degrees of success. Both highlight the power of structures that do violence and repress humanity, these structures of patriarchy, and the structures of being in a post-nuclear war where unimaginable violence could be released at any second. 
Both films highlight the fragility of worldview and the world. So a new worldview of the fear and horror that was unleashed by Oppenheimer's invention. And then how all of Barbie land can change overnight. Overnight by chauvinism where men play without any consideration. They play guitar at women. <laughs> I've wondered if either of these movies would have, at, have had made as much of a cultural splash if they were released on their own. I think there's something about these two stories happening at the same time that actually it, it uh, fueled something deeper. Sometimes seeing two different stories interact actually grows about a deeper meaning. In our scripture reading today, we find two teachings that for those who are familiar with the Bible might be familiar to you. And we have typically seen them as separate. What I hope to demonstrate today is that these were actually meant for each other. And when we read them in stereo, when we read them as part of one thing, we all of a sudden, it's revealed something much, much deeper. This is just a reminder for me and for us, just kind of an instruction for us, that the way in which Scripture comes to us in our Bibles nowadays is not how people read Scripture for most of the Christian tradition. Um, the way our Bibles are divided by chapters and by verse was formalized in the 16th century. So think about how people read the Bible so differently, especially with our phones, because we read chapter 9 of Matthew, and that's the end of it, and we have to go to the next button, and then all of a sudden there's this whole new story, new chapter. But for most of the Christian tradition, they would bleed right in one into the other. Stories and teachings overlapped more naturally. And that's typically how Christians read the Bible. So for us, it's important for us when we come to a scripture, we want to read it uh, and get the most out of it, to read it in the grander context that we might actually see something deeper happening. That's what happens at the end of Matthew chapter 9. We read the end of that chapter without perhaps going on to see what's happening next. So at the, uh, at the end of chapter 9, Jesus said a phrase that those who are familiar with church or have been around for a while, you might have heard. The harvest is plentiful, and the workers are few. Now, for those who've been around church for a while, I'm curious, how has that verse been used most often? What is this typically promoting? Volunteers? Missions? Especially global missions, for me, my experience is like, the harvest is plentiful, like, we need to go into the world, to this nation, to this unreached people group, because the harvest is plentiful and not enough people are going. Um, so that's the idea of that for me, I've grown up with, or service, or that kind of thing. Now, I actually believe, and we believe as a church, that going into the world's good and important work, that we can't just be focused on our own community or our own nation, especially if we go without having a colonial colonialist mindset of reproducing American versions of Christianity. That's really important. Um, but when you read this in the larger context, I actually think it's pointing to something different. It's not about going to people way over there in a different language and a different culture that have never heard the gospel, but this teaching is actually pointing to something different. Uh, when we read it in the larger context, this is what we find. When, uh, this is Matthew chapter 9. Jesus said, uh, this is the, starting in verse 36. When he, being Jesus, saw the crowds. Now these are crowds of Jewish people, common, ordinary folk. Like these are mostly farmers, people who maybe didn't have much wealth. So when Jesus saw the crowds within the Jewish community, he had compassion on them because they were harassed 
and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The group that Jesus is talking about is, and the ones that Jesus is having compassion for are actually within the Jewish family, within the Jewish community. Not out there, not on the other side of whatever structure, whatever geography, but it's actually people within the community. And notice the words, harassed and helpless. They perhaps were harassed by the Roman oppression, that kind of thing, the Roman rule that was going on at that time. But if when you read all of, all of this chapter, all of chapter 9, I believe that it's pointing to something different. If you read all of chapter 9, you'd find a collection of stories with a repeated theme. Jesus was doing all that we know what Jesus to do. He was, uh, he was loving people. He was offering mercy, uh, giving miracles and healings. But he kept butting up against a certain group. And it was those religious Jewish leaders who were in power. And his kingdom was threatening that structure of power. And Jesus kept infuriating them. The reason why, as Max Lucado said about this chapter, he said that Jesus was angry at them because he was exercising his right to be the Son of God. He was exercising his right to be the Son of God. So that meant that he would heal the paralyzed man and then forgive his sins. It meant that he called a tax collector named Matthew. He was, tax collectors were the worst of the worst, and Jesus said, I want you to be my disciple, to follow me. Jesus got in trouble for not fasting correctly. These are all things that are happening in this chapter. Jesus would get in trouble for healing the untouchables, for restoring the possessed. And then rather than inspiring worship or curiosity by these individuals, Jesus received condemnation and judgment, even even being called demon-possessed. So here, at the end of chapter 9, Jesus was going about doing his good work, and all of these crowds were coming to him, and Jesus saw the harassed, and helpless community, and just was overwhelmed with compassion. He looked at his disciples and said, and I think with a bit of sadness in his heart, said, the harvest is sadly plentiful, and the workers are few. These people were being harassed and helpless, perhaps by the religious system that was working against them. That one that privileged the powerful and the put together, it was harassing them. It was not empowering them. Instead, it was making them feel powerless. And so Jesus had compassion, and he looked at them and said to his disciples, the workers are few. So what happens in Matthew chapter 10 seems clear. It's obvious. If we were to read it straight from one verse to another, what happens then is that Jesus simply begins to give them instructions, and Jesus sends them out. You are called to be laborers for that harvest which I have compassion for. So Jesus begins to send them out with instructions because the harvest is so plentiful. Now, I'm sad to say that some things don't change. Though there are many wonderful churches and Christian communities out there, quite often people go into church with that longing to experience love and mercy and belonging and grace, but many of them have left feeling harassed and a bit helpless because of the stigma that they carry from their past and their choices, because they can't quiet their questions and their doubts, harassed because they were made into second-rate citizens because of their gender or their orientation or their race or whatever otherness that 
the church community could throw on them. And I'm sad to say that the harvest might still be plentiful in our midst. And sometimes it feels like the workers are few. I had a moment with Jesus with this passage around two months ago. A little bit of a backstory for those who might know. Seven years ago, the vine was created. It was planted. We were uh, planted not by, like, by ourselves, not independent of anything else. We were actually planted through a denomination that was incredibly supportive and helpful. It seemed like a great fit. And for me, one of the greatest gifts for me was I met a handful of pastors that became friends. Um, I, true confession, some of the loneliest places I ever feel is at pastor conferences. It's, I mean, imagine you going to them. Like, it's just, I don't feel like I belong all that much. Yet, within this denomination, I found people that are like, oh, this is my community, especially a handful of friends. And anytime we'd have a, some sort of regional denominational gathering, we would find as many opportunities to, to sneak away, to hang out. We'd stay up late. We would eventually, um, every springtime, we'd go away for a long weekend, uh, and we have a very, very active text, ch- text, text chain uh, throughout the year. But for me and for our church, around four years ago, the vine began to uh, go through a journey as a community. We needed to have greater clarity on our relationship with the LGBTQ community. So we began this process of discernment. Like, what, do, what is our relationship? How are how are we going to interact and what is our posture going to be within this community? And the reason why we did this is because we were driven out of compassion. We saw many who were harassed and made to feel helpless within the church. And that was not just the community out there. That was within our own. It's within our own community. Like our children, our friends, our brothers, our sisters, our family members, our neighbors. It was like within the community of God. And at the end of this discernment process, we decided to create our third wave posture, which has been foundational for our church's culture around many issues and conversation. And so that's what happened. We were excited about it. And though we uh, believe that was within bounds of our denomination, we were unexpectedly and quickly shown the door. Or more accurately, kind of, it was, we were kind of shoved out the door. Maybe more accurately, there was a trap door underneath us that fell open. We just, woo! That's kind of how it felt like. Um, it was a trying time. It was like sad and confusing for us. And I know that for us, when we look back, we, we had some missteps along the way too. We weren't perfect. Um, but we really felt like we were being led by the Spirit of Jesus in this journey. And in the end, um, we lost a lot of things. But one of the things that remained with me are those handful of friendships I had with these pastors that even uh, were made more beautiful, more important. Uh, But then, over the last three years, sadly, one by one, those friends have had the same experience too, where all of a sudden they found themselves outside, um, outside of what was once home and refuge now on the outside of that. And the last time it happened was two months ago. It was very public for my my friend who leads this beautiful church in St. Paul. And uh, we were trying to encourage him through this. Because he actually grew up in in this denomination. So this is like his people that felt more painful. So we were trying to encourage him through it. And we all said, you know, our things, include emojis to make sure it was really heartfelt. And uh, one guy named Scott, he said something. He said, did you ever notice what comes after that quote, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. And he encouraged us to keep reading. 
And when you read in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sends out his disciples for that harvest of those who are harassed and made to feel helpless. And Jesus sends them out with particular instructions. Jesus told them to start by going to your Jewish brothers and sisters, people within the community of God who are harassed and made to feel helpless. And as you go, preach and heal and serve. Don't bring money. Don't bring extra clothes. Go and remember to be vulnerable. But then Jesus says this. This is in verse 12. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. On it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. This is the thing that my friend Scott was trying to connect, was the harvest being plentiful, and sometimes you're going to have to shake the dust off your feet. I suggest that there is a thread between these two teachings that we have usually separated that actually go together. Right after sending out the disciples, those uh, who are to, to those who are harassed and helpless, Jesus gives them instructions on how to navigate rejection, how to navigate hardship within their own community. I think Jesus is saying here, don't be surprised if you aren't welcomed along the way. Jesus actually goes on to say later on in verse 16, I'm sending you out like sheaves, sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard you will be handed over to the local councils and will be flogged in your synagogues. For the record, I'm not calling our previous community, those who uh, we were part of, a bunch of wolves. <laughs> uh, they're actually people who I believe were trying to follow Jesus faithfully, but our idea, our convictions around fidelity to the way of Jesus just were expressed very, very differently. But what we see here, Part of Jesus' instructions of going into this world includes what to do when you experience rejection. I actually think that Jesus' instructions here are really, really timely for this day and age that we live in because I often meet with people who are either coming to our church or are done with church for a while because of the experience of being rejected along the way. Either rejected by the community that was once their spiritual home but no longer whether family members or friends or church groups or that, that place that was once a refuge and home now feels unwelcomed and they don't know what to do. I think Jesus' words here are very, very helpful. Because I've struggled, like you, of what do you do when you experience that kind of rejection, when you're silenced, when you're muted? For me, some of the greatest experiences of love and belonging has happened within church, within the family of God. And some of my deepest pain also comes within the family of God. And I know I'm not alone. So what do we do? What do we do when we are in systems, relationships that mute the voices and cancels people? I think Jesus would help us here. So let me draw out a couple of instructions that we see here in this teaching that Jesus gives us. First, as we go, we are called to give peace. Jesus said in verse 13, if the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If not, let your peace return to you. So we go with the purpose of giving peace. We do not go to cast judgment or dish out disdain or bitterness. We don't go loaded with ammunition of arguments or mockery. We go with the hopes of providing the peace that we have experienced, and we, the one that we carry with us. 
the people I know that I am drawn to when it comes to difficult issues, social issues, or other things about how the church interacts with the world, the people I am drawn to are not those who are ready to throw down in debates and have those awesome zingers ready to, to, to share or the one-liners that are very tweetable. For me, I am drawn to people who hold their convictions deeply, firmly, but they do so with this deep, abiding sense of peace. Peace of walking with the God of peace. Peace of having alignment of their convictions that they hold with the posture of grace and love to this world. Peace of not having to be the moral or theology police that are sent and deputized into all of the world, but people who are simply trying to remain connected to Jesus and to be expressive of love and truth wherever they go. And the great thing that we find here in this teaching is if this peace isn't received, what does Jesus say to do? Let that peace return to you. It's okay if the, if the disciples' job is not to change everyone. We're called to give peace. And if it's not received, well, we, we receive it back in ourselves. But what happens when that peace isn't welcomed? There's, the teaching goes on to say, uh, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Jesus is giving instructions that there are times where it's okay for you to step away, for you to move on. Let's nuance this a little. Jesus' instructions are, if your peace isn't received, receive it back. If you aren't listened to, if you aren't welcomed, then there are times where it's okay for you to leave. Some of us are in challenging, challenging relationships where we aren't listened to, where we aren't welcomed. We have learned not to bring our full self, and because of that, it's hard to live with peace. And I just want to say there are times where it's appropriate and even needed for you to step back, to, to get out of that chat room, get out of that thread with that's toxic, it's not going anywhere, to step back from toxic relationships, because there's sometimes we've, we have been taught, we believe that's the only faithful option. And Jesus here says there are times that it's good for you to leave, to shake off the dust and keep moving. Now, I don't want you to use this as a proof text to bail on any difficult relationships. This is like a super nuanced thing. Like, sometimes we're going to be in relationship with people that is just going to be hard. But, but what, there, what Jesus is saying here is there are times where, for us, we need to step away. And I suggest this happens with prayerful discernment, conversations with trusted companions, and most importantly, this happens when we retain a Christ-like posture. Which brings me to the next instruction that Jesus says. Is that Jesus, this is, this is where Jesus' words are really, really important. To be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. For me, that word that stands out is innocent. There have been times where I've been in conflicting relationships and I will obsess about building out my case. I know I'm alone in this. I know you have never done this. You've never heard something to your steering wheel when you're about to drive up to have that conversation. And you've never done that, right? Where you're laying in bed, you replay that conversation, like, oh yeah, next time, I know what to say. I will prepare my argument and I'll get my slams all ready. And in those moments, I might be as shrewd as a snake, but I've lost an innocence, right? I've lost an innocence as a dove. The peace that I was supposed to be offering, it's gone. We are called to be wise and shrewd, but our posture has to remain peaceful and innocent. And the last instruction that I, I see here is that, and as you go, remember why you go. 
we do so not just be, we, we, we step away, not just to shut off relationships or ditch problematic people. If not, no one would be here at the church today, right? We go because there is a harvest out there. We are motivated by the same thing that Jesus was motivated by. One of the most common experiences we find describing Jesus' inner world, inner life, is this word compassion. We are driven out of compassion. So there are times where we step away from things, relationships, because not just to get away from that, but move towards something else. Because there is a harvest out there, and the workers are few. We see this displayed at the end of chapter 9. Rather than using our emotional and mental and spiritual well-being to demand that we are listened to and received, we do what Jesus did. We keep moving. We go to those looking for hope. We go to those who are longing for peace, that, and we have experienced this peace from Jesus. That is where these two teachings, I believe, feed on one another. They draw out a deeper meaning is, for me, I believe, to be a part of Jesus' work to the harassed harvest, we will have to learn to shake the dust off our feet. We're going to have to follow the way of Jesus that included a lot of rejection, misunderstandings. And what I've realized is that after being shown the door in my own life, in our own church's experience, what I've discovered when I've found myself outside the circle, outside the walls of religion, is that's often where the harvest is. People harassed and helpless looking for some good news. I believe if we are serious about following Jesus, we must be willing to go where the harvest is. To those who've been dismissed or asked to go quietly, those who found belonging reserved for those who believe everything we do, those who were told that they were welcome only to find the limits of that welcome, to those who experience abuse in the name of church discipline. I'm sad to say it, but I still believe there is a harvest out there that Jesus continues to have compassion for. And we're going to do what Jesus did at the beginning of chapter 10. We're going to believe that Jesus still sends out his church and his followers into this world. And yes, it might come at a cost. There will be resistance. But know when you experience it, we are people who allow peace to return to us with this posture of innocence. And we're going to keep on following Jesus who is continuing to move forward. I wanted to share this message today for a couple reasons. First, because I think Jesus' instructions here are really, really helpful for us who are living in a conflicted age. We're trying to figure out what does it mean to faithfully walk in, in challenging relationships. How can we be faithful to the way of Jesus without utilizing devices of antagonism, disdain? And I find this teaching really, really helpful. The second reason why is because I know many of you You've experienced your own harassment, your own rejection, and you're here kind of on your last ditched effort. You have this affinity towards Jesus, and you don't know if you belong in the church anymore. And I wanted to share this message just simply to also say that you are not alone. For your own experience, we are sorry. We love you. For the things that we lost through our own experience, our own experience of rejection. Uh, I've had a lot of realizations. I have a lot of things I've held on to. But one thing I've never had, and I know that our church, our leadership has never had, is regret. Uh, because the harvest that we have been privileged to walk among and to see and to work alongside 
is the very thing that we believe that we are created for as a church, to be church. And so for you who are looking for a refuge, a sense of home and belonging, I just want to say that Jesus sees you with eyes full of compassion, and I hope that this imperfect, imperfect little community can be that home for you. Here in a moment, we're going to take communion. We do so usually in a response to grace and mercy, and that still remains the case. But also, I want this table today to be a demonstration of our desire to live into this teaching our desire to be sent by Jesus into this world that has a great harvest that are in need of compassionate labors of mercy and grace. Jesus ended chapter 9 by saying, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the field. And so today, as a church, we ask Jesus, the Lord of the harvest, to send us. We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about The Vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to The Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.